Well, good morning. Welcome to church today. If you're new with us, my name is Ken. I'm our youth pastor. Uh, I'm not the, the regular guy that's always up here. Uh, that, it was just Chip that was just here, but uh, I get the opportunity to speak with you today. And uh, I, I would just like to take a moment and just echo um, what Pastor Chip shared with us about VBS. Um, I've been here at Napoleon now for almost three years. And every time I go out into the community and I, people ask me, like, who am I? What do I do? And I tell them I'm the youth pastor at NAPNAS. They're, I mean, if they've got kids, all, it's almost automatic. Their response is, oh, well, my kid went to VBS there. My kid did Upward there. We went to your fall festival. Or there's some way they were connected with, with stuff that we did. And um, just want to say thank you to all of you who, who give your time. And it, we're, we're known in the community for that kind of stuff, and that's great. But what that also tells me is that... Um, the kids that were there, the kids that they tell me went to those events, they got to hear the gospel. And that's what's the most important thing. We have kids in our community that are coming to our church and hearing the gospel. It's our own kids, but it's also our, our kids from within our community. And so all of you who volunteer, all of you who give up your time and energy to do that, uh, the, the week of EBS, I got to be in the, the sound booth and kind of run stuff, and I got to watch all the kids out here dance and go, go crazy. Even the, the preschoolers, when they come in and join us, it was a lot of fun. And I encourage you, if you maybe you had a scheduling conflict this year uh, or whatnot, you weren't able to participate, there always have space for people. And so if you didn't get to, to volunteer this year, I encourage you to do it next year. Um, and uh, it, was just, it was just a great week uh, to be a part of a Vacation Bible School. We're going to uh, continue on this morning with our uh, sermon series over the book of James. Uh, we started a few weeks ago, and, and we're just going to be walking through James all summer long. Uh, and, and I don't know, I, I, I've really enjoyed this series so far. I don't know if you guys have as well, but I hope so. And um, one of the things I've really uh, liked so far is I've been trying to, to take on Pastor Chip's challenge of reading James every day. James is, is five books long, or five chapters long. And it takes about 15 minutes to read, even less if you can read fast. And, and his kind of idea with issuing that challenge is that you wouldn't stop and read it in like a devotional way or like stop and really dive into a particular section. It's just you just read it through just like you would uh, a news article or a, a post online or a blog or something like that. Just sit and just read it through. Um, and uh, I, I really... Uh, I'm amazed at each time that I do that, the different things that pop out at me. I'm not stopping to, to check something out, but I, I just notice different things. And I, and I know that it's, it's the, 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 the Spirit, that it, and he, as I'm reading it, He's pointing out different things to me. Uh, but it is just, it, it's amazing how when you just read through the same thing, you know, over and over, you start to, your knowledge of the passage grows, your understanding of the passage grows every time you do it. Uh, and so I just encourage you, if you haven't started that, you can do it now. You can join and jump into it now. Um, but just, just take, some, take some time each day and just read through uh, the, the book of James. Um, we've been talking each week about this, this idea. This is the idea of, of the book of James. And it's that faith acts. Or as Pastor Chip shared last week with us, it's faith in action. Your faith, what you, what you believe in your heart, the, the things that, uh, that, that you believe about God and about life to be true, those should lead to actions in our life. Those should um, produce in us, as, as we get to know Jesus more and more, and as the Spirit works on us and shapes us and molds us more and more, that should change how we act. 
We should not act the same way um, after we have been saved and after the Spirit's been working on us that we did before. There's some things in our life that should just naturally change, and not because we want to be religious, not because we want to just do things, but just because our love of, of God and our understanding of God as that grows deeper and deeper, that should just lead us to want to change. And so um, that's kind of the heartbeat of the book of James. Your faith should lead you into action. And, and so far we've talked about, um, with James, we talked about the, the, the trials that come your way, the temptations that come your way, and um, just even the, just how the, the word of truth might come into your life. And, and, and today we're going to continue on and we're going to finish up chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 27. Um, and we're just going to kind of go through that. Uh, it, it kind of splits itself up into three different parts. And so we're going, to look at, we're going to look at verses 19 and 20, 21 through 25, and then 26 and 27 as we go along. One of the things that I really like about James is that I feel like James, uh, first off, he could have written what he wrote uh, back then. He could have written that today, and it would be completely applicable and make sense. Um, all the stuff that's going on uh, in our world and our culture around us, uh, the things that he's calling Christians out on, things that he wants Christians to change about their life, we struggle still with those things today. As Pastor, as Pastor Chip shared with us, this is a book um, that's written to Christians. Um, it's not an evangelistic book in a sense that it's writing just to tell people, um, any, anybody who wants to hear about the, the love and the grace of God, it's written for people who are already believers because there's things that are going on. James, he is, uh, he's in Jerusalem and he's the leader of the church. Uh, and he's looking out and he's seeing Christians all over the, the globe. They've scattered when, when Stephen was stoned and the Christians scattered uh, and the word and, and, and the, the message of Jesus scattered with them. He was, he was looking out, and Jerusalem is kind of a hub, so people would come in, and they would, they would tell James about what's going on, they would leave, and James would just be hearing all these different things. And, and James just, he writes this book because he has some things to share uh, with the, the Christians that are scattered, some things that he's seeing. And you, you notice when something really gets under James's skin, he repeats it over and over throughout the, the, throughout the five chapters of this book. And today, we actually get to look at some kind of like, some of the, the, the heartbeat, the, the nervous system of some of these things that really, he, he really wants people to know. Um, and uh, James, he, um, he's known, he has a nickname, and, and, and forgive me if, if Pastor Chip has already shared this, I, 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 um, I tried to go back and look the first, very first week that Chip opened up and he started talking about who James was, um, I had to leave and go get donuts because we forgot them that, moment, that morning for our uh, new sixth graders that were coming into the youth group. And when I went back online, it cut off right as he was sharing about who James was. So I can't remember exactly what he shared with you. But James had a nickname called James the Just. And he, was, he watched uh, James is, is, is the brother of Jesus. And for the longest time, he, he didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was until he came into contact with Jesus after he had died on the cross and he was the resurrected Jesus. And then all of a sudden, James realized my brother is not a crazy person. He is who he says he is. And so he watched Jesus, though, for, for his earthly ministry, take care of people. And take care of specific people who society didn't want, the sick people, uh, women and children, the people that didn't factor in, the poor. Uh, and, and James has a real heartbeat for those people. And, and so he writes this book also out of that heartbeat for uh, the, the care of those who, who aren't cared for. And so, um, again, just uh, some other reasons why we like, we like James. And I feel like um, 
he and I see eye to eye on a lot of different things. And so we're going to dive in this morning, uh, and we're going to look at this very first section, verses 19 through 20. And uh, as, as, we, as we start out, um, it, it's kind of important to realize that, and, and again, this is one of the reasons why I like James. Uh, he, he has this moment where he's writing in verse, in verse 18, right before this, he's writing um, about the word of truth and about this new birth that God wants us to all experience and, uh, through, the, through the word of truth. And then it's like he stops for just a second, and he's like, oh yeah, and I wanted to tell you this, okay? I, I, he completely breaks, and, and the reason why we know he completely breaks is he, he uses this introduction, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, he includes sisters. He's caring about people that, the, that society is completely overlooking. He's specifically talking about the women. He includes them in his greeting, but he makes this greeting every time he kind of changes directions, if you go through and look at the book of James, and he's, he starts this out in, verses ni- in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. So he's talking about the word of truth, and, and we're going to come back to that, but he just has this brief moment where he's like, oh yes, and I need to tell you this, and I need you to, I need you to pay attention to it. Right, every parent in the room has probably done this to their kids before. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Um, I watched uh, one of the pastors this week that was talking about this message. I watched him do this with his congregation. I want us to do this today too. I want you to put your hands out in front of you. All right. We go through our days sometimes, and we, we encounter frustrating situations, uh, and this is, um, this is an action that you can do that in the middle of a frustrating situation, whether your hands would end up down by your side or under a table or a desk or wherever you might be. Everybody should be quick to listen, so close your, close your fists, quick to listen. Again, this is a, a reminder, first off, that we need to listen um, in haste uh, to what's being said to us, but then we should be slow to speak, and slow to become angry, all right? So try it again. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It's a reminder of, of the order in which these things go in, but it's also, um, it's, a, it's just an action that you can do. When we get mad, what do we do? We tighten our fists, right? There is something um, even within our brain that happens when we slowly open a clenched fist, it is something that causes anger to subside. It's something that calms down fears and stress and anxiety. Uh, and so this week, I just challenge you, any moment you, you, you find yourself in where you're getting frustrated, your hands will probably already be like this. But in your brain, just remind yourself, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, and open your, your fists. Now, it's important that James uh, includes this part in this book, because the Christians that he's writing to, they're scattered all over the world, they're under persecution, and they're under persecution most likely from people they already know. The, the, the Jewish leaders of the day are frustrated with them. Uh, they're frustrated that they're uh, spreading this message about Jesus, and, and the, obviously the religious leaders didn't like Jesus. That's why they, they killed him on a cross, um, they, he was taking their followers, he was taking uh, away their importance, their authority, they felt like, and so they were adamantly against Jesus and the message that he, was, that he was spreading. And then now all of a sudden, we have all these followers that are coming out, and most of them are coming out of the synagogues, the Jewish, uh, the, the Jewish centers, their churches. And because they were, um, they were so close to the Jewish leaders, they were being persecuted. And the very first persecutions of the church didn't come from Rome. It didn't come from a Colosseum and tigers and lions. It came from Jewish leaders. And James is watching Christians out in the world 
deal with these Jewish leaders. And uh, James also talks about this in another way when he talks about the rich and the poor. The rich represent the Jewish leaders. The poor represent the Christians. And, he's, and he knows that there's this, there's this deep divide. They're, they're, they're fighting. They're quarreling. And James wants to remind the Christians that are out in the world that if we're to follow the gospel example, if we're to follow the example of Jesus, we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is uh, not something that's necessarily new to the people that would be hearing this or seeing this, especially if they have Jewish heritage. Um, Proverbs 17, 27, we talk about the fact that James uh, is kind of a uh, wisdom book for the New Testament. The wisdom books of the Old Testament include the book of Proverbs. And uh, Proverbs 17, 27 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Going on in Proverbs, in chapter 29, verse 20, we read this. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. In one of the, the uh, intertestamental books that, the, that are in Jewish scripture that we don't have in our Bible, um, it's, a, it's a book called Sirach. And in chapter 5, verses 11 and 13 of that book, they also read this, Be quick to hear and deliberate in answering. If you have understanding, answer your neighbor. But if not, put your hand on your mouth. Glory and dishonor come from speaking, and a man's tongue is his downfall. The idea is that when we speak, we represent ourselves in a certain way. And if, if our role as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to go out into the world and to share the message of Jesus with the world around us, that means that we have to represent our, ourselves in such a way that would not hinder them hearing what we have to say. And one of the fastest ways that we can do that is become angry and to, uh, to show them a non-Christian-like way to live. And I lost my note. Specifically, um, with the Christians and, and, and the, the struggle that they're, they're in right now with, with uh, the Jewish leaders, if there's going to be any hope at all of showing not only the Jewish leaders that they're fighting with, but the world around them, that they uh, have a hope and a, uh, a, a faith um, that is so important that it would change their life, they have to show that in how they live. And the fastest way to wreck that is by getting angry and losing your temper and becoming frustrated and not hearing them out, not hearing what they have to say. Have you ever been a part of a conversation with somebody that doesn't listen to you? They're so mad. They're so frustrated. They're already just thinking about what they're going to come back and fight you with. And they, you know for a fact you could ask them, repeat what I just said, and they could not do it. Right? Is that not a frustrating conversation, conversation to be a part of? Because it's not really a conversation at all. That person is not interested at all in what you have to say. We are called as Christians to listen to people. Listen to people. Don't, don't get so amped up that you're ready for the attack. I understand this because I am a person that has to process things. Okay? And I don't do well in arguments because I have, to, I have to hear what they say and then I have to think about it for just a second 
to understand what they're saying, and to, to formulate my response. I was horrible at class discussion in college, and it always made me mad when the professor would say, you know what, uh, I'm going to base your grade off of uh, your, our conversation today in class. And I want everybody to speak, and I want everybody to be involved, and uh, so just know you're going to be graded on how you just have conversations with each other. I would hate that, because I would sit there, and I'd listen to what everybody was saying, and be like, okay, I know what I want to say, and then they would move on to something else, and I would completely miss it, and I would be so frustrated. I'd have to go into the professor almost every time they did that and be like, listen, this is what I wanted to say. I just could never get it out because everybody else was talking and I didn't interject myself and I didn't, I didn't cut somebody off or I didn't. And so I, I just, I, I understand the slow to speak, but I'm not doing it necessarily because I feel like I should do it as a Christ follower. I'm doing it just because maybe I'm just a little slow, I guess. I don't know. Um, but uh, when I was, when I was uh, a, a youth pastor in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, um, when I was there for a while, I, I, I also donned the title of the children's and youth pastor. And uh, when I donned that title, I also inherited a very large fish tank. And this fish tank sat right in the entryway to the building and uh, had tons of fish in it. And there was a lady that took care of it. So for like the first month that I was in charge of that, I didn't have to worry about the fish tank at all. But then all of a sudden, she got upset at something else going on in the church, and she left. And all of a sudden, that fish tank and the responsibility of that fish tank fell on me. And um, I, don't, I don't do well with uh, animals sometimes. And so I was, this fish tank frustrated me. And I was like, I have to, I have to it, wasn't, it wasn't near my office. It wasn't near where I was in the church every day. I had to walk over to a completely other building to, to make sure these fish had food and to make sure the water was okay and that, you know, there weren't dead fish in there for Sunday when the kids walk in and they get traumatized. And so um, that was like my job for like a month. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I even researched companies that would come in and take care of your fish tank for you. And just for like a matter of $250 a month, they would come in and feed all your fish and clean your tank. And so I was like, you know what? I, I watched for a little while. Not one kid stopped by that fish tank walking in. So I was like, you know what? It's time for the fish tank to go away. And so there's a, there was a bunch of fish in the fish tank, and somebody said, well, you know, some, somebody way back when donated the, fi- the original fish that were in that tank. And so I contacted them. They're like, yeah, we'll take the fish back. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come and get them. I said, okay, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to move them from the fish tank into separate buckets so you know which fish are where and, and all that. Um, but, uh, but no, I'm going to camp this week, so I'm, I'm going to leave it up to you to, to come and get these fish. So I separate the fish. I get him out. He's supposed to come later on that day. We leave to go to youth camp. I come back that next Sunday. I don't even think about going over into the other building. Um, And then it's like midweek. I come back over. Something happened. They weren't able to come get the fish. And every one of them had died. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I mean, I won't lie to anybody that asked me. But I also won't just bring it up, and maybe people will just forget about the fish in the fish tank. Um, And in the middle of children's church the next week, a mom comes in who apparently looked at those fish every week and, and came in before we got back from camp, before I came in, and she found all the dead fish. She already knew what happened. And she came in and let me have it in front of all of the kids that were in there for children's church that week. And I was livid. First off, 
like, I felt like she cared more about those fish than the, the, the message I was sharing with the kids. I was in, I was in a like, leadership position in front of these kids, and, and I was still new at the job, too, and uh, I, was, I was mad. And I said, we'll talk about this later. Well, she left before I had the opportunity to talk with her. And I went home, and I was telling Gabby about this, and it was just festering and festering, and I did the worst thing I could do. I posted about it on Facebook. And immediately, I start having these people contact me, wondering if I'm okay, like wondering if things are going like not well at the church. There were uh, pastors that I, that I knew from other districts were calling me, like, what's going on? And then uh, before I could even take it down, there was a, a kid, he actually he played the drums for us at the church there for a while, and he commented on it. And I knew for a fact that he was still not sure about his beliefs. And I knew that he saw one of the pastors at the church lose their cool on Facebook. And I was just reminded, what we put out, and this is, this is kind of, this is, goes along with the message, but it's kind of like a side point, just like James did. What we put out on Facebook and social media, what we like, what we share, the things that we say, the things that we do, are a reflection of us just as though our words are. <clears throat> and when we misrepresent Jesus in that community, it's almost as bad, if not worse, than when we do it in person. When we do it in person to somebody, it's just shared between two people or three people or however many people. But when we do it online, it's out there for everybody to see. And nothing will wreck your witness faster than losing your cool on social media. People watch it. People see it. And the message of James is that we, as representations of Jesus, out in the world, in a world that doesn't believe, in a world that's persecuting, in a world that's frustrating, the moment we lose our cool, we lose our witness. And he goes on to say this. You, uh, nope. Got to love it, right? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The word for righteousness here means justice. And a lot of times we think that if we, can lose our, if we lose our temper or if we're forceful, we can bring about the justice that we think should happen, right? Most of the time when we get angry, we're trying to bring about our own justice. We're frustrated. I comment on Facebook because I was mad that that lady did that, and I wanted people to know about it, and I wanted people to know how, how bad she was, and, and I it was wrong. The righteousness that God wants to bring about is a healing righteousness. It's a, it's a, it's a justice that brings about um, a deeper faith, a deeper understanding, a, 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 a message to people who, yeah, they've been persecuting, they've been bullying, they've been whatever. God cares just as much about them and wants them to know that they have a hope and a future just like we do. And we wreck that the moment we lose our cool. God is, the, God is the bringer of justice, not us. And when we lose our anger, we try to do that on our own. And this is not just something um, that, you know, like if you were an unbeliever and you came in today and, and, and you just heard this, this is just, this is just good life advice, right? The be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Every parent, um, that is one thing, um, even as the, the parent of now an almost two-year-old, I've, I've realized, you know, I've, I've got to be, you know, 
restrained on stuff. He's, he's learning new things, and he's doing things, and he doesn't always do things when you want him to do things. And, you know, it's just, this is just good life advice. There was a, a boy one time who was, who was playing baseball. He's 13, and just like every other 13-year-old boy that played baseball, he knew that he was going to play in the major leagues, and he was ready to be a major league baseball player. And he would, he would work at it with his dad. They would go over techniques and footwork. He played in the outfield. So they would talk about game situations where, you know, pop fly comes here. There's runners on first and third. Like, what do you do? Where do you throw the ball? All that stuff. And, and they worked on baseball morning and night and uh, just loved the sport, loved the game. And uh, he just knew that if he continued on this trajectory, if he, if he could prove himself, he'd be in the major leagues. And so... Um, his team was really good, and his team was actually playing for the championship of their, their conference or their league, and um, that day was the day that he made not one but two errors, and on the second error, they lost the game. And uh, I, it's so funny, you talk about this as, as boys, I just watched a major league game this week where uh, a player got picked off on second base in the 11th inning to lose a game. And Unfortunately for that guy, they reviewed the play, so the camera stayed on him for like five minutes, and he just stayed kneeling down at second base. And to see the look on his face, this is the exact look I knew, or I know that was on this boy's face as he stood out in the outfield, watched the winning run score, watched that team celebrate, watched his team throw their gloves down on the ground, watched the coach, you know, be like, oh, you know, get frustrated and go through the emotions, all those things. And instead of running in, to, to, to that, the boy decided, you know what, I've not only lost the game, I've, I've wrecked any, any, any hope of playing Major League Baseball, he was done. And he turned around, he ran, he hopped over the outfield fence, and he started to run home. And the dad saw him jump over the fence and go, he knew which way he was going, he pulled around, he found him, had him get in the car, not a word was said. And they, dri- they drive home, the boy goes inside, he goes up to his room, the dad goes into the kitchen, and he thinks his, his dad is just so mad. They worked on that. They, they talked about that situation over and over. He should have known what to do. He should have known where to throw the ball. He should have hit the cutoff man, and he didn't. And so he knew his dad had to be mad at him. He knew, he knew that his dad also probably knew he, had, you know, he wasn't going to make it then as a ball player. He had to do something new in life. And his dad at that point comes up the stairs, opens the door. He has in his hands a glass of milk plate of cookies. He sits, he sits down next to his son on the bed. He gives him the, the milk and the cookies, and he just puts his arm around him, and they just sit there for a while. And it was in that moment that that boy understood James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. His dad really wasn't mad at him, and he knows that now. Uh, you'd expect me to tell you that this boy does go on to play for the, the, you know, a major league baseball team, but really this boy's name is Max Licato. And he writes a book on James. He's a Christian author, writes a lot of stuff. He wrote a book on James. And when it comes to this passage, that's the story that he shares. As parents, as just Christians in general, when we adopt this concept, when we are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, it will make a lasting impression on everyone around you. When they can see that you're in control, what is what's the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. When you're in control of yourself, people notice, people see that, and that makes an impact and a difference. Moving on, the second part, 
the second part of this, uh, this last part of the, the, the chapter of James is verses 21 through 25. And this is probably one of the most famous chapters, uh, or famous verses in the, in the chapter of James that we're talking about. So I told you that 19 and 20, that was a complete break for, uh, from thought, going from, uh, going from verses 18 into 19 and 20. If you read verse 18 and then jump right over to verse 21, it seems to just flow right together and make sense. He tells us this, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This example, this, this man who looks at himself in a mirror, uh, first, first off, at the, to, to go back to verse 18 and tie this in together, he's talking about a new birth and, and, and accepting this new birth and the word of truth that's, that's been put in us. So that's, that is the, um, that's the idea that we're carrying over here. And now he said, because that's happened, because you are all Christians and you have, you have, a, you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, this is the next step. You have to start taking off the things that are, that are morally filthy that's in your life that, um, that uh, you need to be cleansed from, things that you struggle with. Maybe it is anger. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's greed. Maybe it's um, lying or stealing or what, whatever, whatever things you struggle with in life. These are the things that you need to start allowing God to help you take care of. The word for filth there, um, Pastor Chip next week will be starting chapter 2, and there's a, there's a story of a rich man and a poor man that come into church, and he's talking about how they're going to uh, accept these two, uh, uh, these two individuals that come in. And the word that he uses for the poor person is the same word that filth, that is the filth word that we're getting here in this chapter. And it's kind of the idea of clothes. They're just dirty. When you, uh, back in the day, it was, in this part of the world, it was hot. Uh, it was uh, dusty. You had to walk everywhere. There weren't cement walkways and roads and all that. You had to walk everywhere. You were hot. You were wearing wool clothing. You were sweating. Everything that came up off the ground, dust-wise, stuck to you. And by the end of the day, you were gross. And so you had, to, you had to, when you got home, you had to like, and you've all, you've all probably been soaking wet from either swimming or just, just sweat in general, and you got to like peel the clothes off of you, right? Well, that's the imagery that he's talking about, James is talking about here with this, with this part of this, of this uh, chapter. He's talking about these things that are a part of you off. You have to peel those off, and, and you need to, uh, it, it's, it's an action. You've, you've got to take part in this. And it's not all done by you. The Spirit is definitely a part of this process that helping you determine, you know, what needs to come off and, 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 and um, how, how you're going to do that, how, how you can uh, best do that with, with success so these things don't come around and, and continue to bother you later. And so the Spirit's in there. It's helping you determine what this morally filth stuff is that we, we each one have different stuff we struggle with, right? So the, the Spirit helps you do that, but he said it's, if you are a follower of Jesus and you hear the, and you hear the message and the teaching of Jesus, uh, but you don't do this, you don't go through this process to allow God to mold you and to shape you, you are like a man who looks in a mirror 
and then walks away and completely forgets what he looks like. Now, this was not a, a, a new concept because back in, in, in that time, they also didn't have glass mirrors like we have today. Uh, glass mirrors wouldn't come about until about the year th- like 1300. And so back then they would have to really polish up some metal or, or look in a, a puddle or a bucket. But most of the time when they're talking about a mirror, they would have to polish up metal, gold, silver, bronze, copper, stuff like that. They would, they would get a really good china and you could see your reflection. in it. Now, it wouldn't be perfect. Uh, you couldn't see things. It wasn't high def by any means, uh, but you could kind of see generally what you'd look like. And they didn't have, they didn't have phones back then. They would uh, definitely didn't have enough money for most of them to have a painting done of you uh, and it, or a sculpture done of you. And if you did that, they would just paint you in the best light anyway. So you wouldn't be aware fully of always what you look like. You didn't get the opportunity just to wake up uh, like m- hopefully most of us do. We wake up, we look at ourselves in the mirror right before we go out the door. Um, they didn't have that luxury back then. And so um, a lot of times you would have to, you would, you would get to look in the mirror, but you it was so quick, so fleeting. You wouldn't get to really study yourself. You, wouldn't, you, you weren't always fully aware of what you look like. You weren't aware if you're, you know, your, your robe was matching your sandals and all those different things. And so it was, it was the, the reflection thing was a struggle for them. They, they, didn't have, they didn't have just the opportunity that we have today to just know what we look like. So what, what James is actually saying here is not necessarily talking about reflection. He's talking about the fact that um, a lot of times when we look in a mirror, we look in the mirror to make sure we're like we're we're, we're dressed right, we look right, our hair's, you know, fixed right. Um, what he's saying is, it's better for us, rather than looking in a mirror and walking away and forgetting all the things that we need to work on and fix and, and, and do things, it's, it, the mirror is an earthly vein kind of thing. Instead of, instead of having that, that picture stick in our mind of what we look like and what we need to fix, he's saying it's better if you hold up the perfect law that gives freedom, which is the gospel. It's the message of Jesus. And if we hold that up and we look at that and we just try to be like that, that's, that's better than a, 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 you know, a good hair day. That's better than making sure we have matching clothes. That's better than making sure that we, we look just okay for everybody around us. He wants us spiritually to just start emulating Jesus. And if we hold that up, rather than trying to figure out what our reflection looks like, if we just hold up the, the image of Jesus and we le- try to live that way and try to act that way, the world is going to notice that a lot more than if we look just okay on the outside. Because when we look good on the outside, that's great, but we don't know what, what else is going on underneath the skin. We don't know what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, the way that God is working in your life and, and different things going on. If you just look at a, at a, at a picture, even on Facebook, you, you know, it's the, the classic thing where you look at the picture of the perfect family at Disney World and you just know like five seconds later, one kid was hitting another kid and they were fighting and doing stuff. Pictures don't accurately represent who we are, right? They just represent maybe the best parts of ourselves. But he's talking about something that's deeper than just surface vanity. If we, hold, if we hold the image of Jesus up and we really truly reflect that, that is a spirit deep thing. That is something that people will be able to see. It'll be a lot easier to control our temper when we allow the Spirit to work on us, and we become like Jesus, and we have a heart for people the way that Jesus does, and we understand that person that just made us mad, God loves them too. And that person that's, that's, that's frustrating us over here, or when our, our kid does this, or, or, or our neighbor does something to make us, like, we know that God has a heart for them, and he wants us 
to be reflections of him to them. And so it just, it, it, it's better for us to try to live and be like Jesus than it is to try to just look good. And so that carries us into the very last part of, of, this, uh, of this passage, and that's verses 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that, our God, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We can do a lot of stuff to make us look really good. We can do a lot of stuff to make us feel really good. But unless we are striving to just live and be like Jesus, all that stuff will fade away and, and, and it will be fleeting. What Jesus tells us is, is the right actions, the right course of actions to take, is to look around us and to love the people that he loved. To care for the people that he cared about. To, to come and to be the crew leader for the preschoolers at Vacation Bible School. To be the coach of the upward team. To, uh, to be a greeter at the door. He wants, us, he wants us to do actions that are actually going to matter. Not just make us look good. Not to make us just sound good. He really cares about how how our, our spirit acts, not just, not just what we do to, to build ourselves up or to puff ourselves up. We, as followers of Jesus, have to make sure that our heart's in the right place and that from that heart, what, is, what does Jesus say about the heart? Uh, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everything that we do, every action that we take, should be from an overflowing heart of the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus that is put in us, the word of truth that, that, that rests in us, that alone should be what motivates us. That, that alone should be what we are, we are striving every day to pursue. That should control our speech. That should control how we allow others to see ourselves. And when we do that, just like Max Licato and the story of him and, the, and, his, and his dad in baseball, if he wouldn't have made errors that day, I don't know if Max Licato would remember that day. But he made errors that day and his dad showed him what Jesus was like. And it sticks with him to this day. We can make a lasting impression. We can, we can make um, victories for the kingdom by out of, out of our faith and love for Jesus, acting like him, putting that image in front of us so that we can see him and we can, we can try to strive each day to be just a little bit more and more like him. And if we do that, the world around us will notice. When we do that, the gospel can be shared. So this week, as you go throughout your day, as you go throughout your week, be in control of your temper be in control of the words that you say and try each day to live more and more like the God who made us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. Dear God, we thank you for um, thank you for the book of James 
and just the truths that we we're learning as we go throughout this series. And, and today, God, I just pray that um, you would be with us as we go throughout, go throughout our, our, our days and weeks ahead. Uh, as, as frustrating situations come, come our way, dear God, help us to respond and act like you. Help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because somewhere there's somebody that's, that's watching us. That's seeing that we respond differently. That's, that's seeing that um, there's a different way. And the justice that you can bring about in a situation trumps the justice that we can bring about tenfold. So God, I just pray that you would be with us. Be with how we represent ourselves. And God, help us, help us to not be the man who looks at himself and goes away and doesn't put your words into practice and just forgets what he is, forgets what he looks like. God, help us to remember that we're, we're children of you, that you have adopted us into your family, and that should affect how we act, how we love, how we treat. There's so many people around us that don't know you. Dear God, forgive us when we fail to live into your image. Forgive us when we fall short. Dear God, go with us this week. Help us to live into the, the way that you showed us. Help us to love others. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. Go with us today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed.